This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Lamigo. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Sam Dangler and Justin Collison about infinite serverless workflows. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 116. everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And this is Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca, how you doing? I am good. How are you doing? And then I have a question for you. Oh, I, well, I'm, I'm doing well. Soccer season is almost over. Um, it's short two-month season, but um, I will be happy to get my Saturdays and most nights back. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow, it does feel like a really short season because I feel like I just asked you about what you were doing and you're like, well, soccer season is starting. <laughs> um, yeah, over here, it's starting to get a little cold and gray. Oh. And so, you know, what season is starting going to the art museums on the weekend season. Ah. And uh, I've been doing that a lot lately and it, I've seen some pretty cool shows. And so I don't know if art season is coming up for you. Um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say art season is coming up for me. Reinvent season is coming up for me, which means that I probably will be overwhelmed by a million different announcements. And, uh, I am going to reinvent. I think I mentioned that. Uh, oh, actually, no, I didn't mention that. I mentioned that in my newsletter, but I am going to reinvent. Um, so I will be there and I look forward to meeting a bunch of people in person. I look forward to the small intimate gathering of maybe about 30,000 people as opposed to 55,000. Um, so that should be interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am noticing it's getting cold though. I have my uh, have my sweater on today, but uh, yeah, art museums. I like art, but I don't know if I'm going to spend my Saturday going to one. <laughs> well, we'll go back to the one that you the thing that you did say you're going to be doing which season because it's very apropos for our two guests today. Yes, definitely. Our two guests today are uh, employees at AWS. Um, team members on the Step Functions team. Um, so happy to introduce them. They're here to talk about a couple pretty major releases and very, very cool releases from AWS Step Functions. So we have the engineering manager of workflow service, including Step Functions, Justin Collison, and the principal solutions architect at AWS, Sam Dangler. Hey, gents, thank you so much for joining us. What have you all been up to? Well, uh, soccer season is underway up, up here in Vancouver as well. So that's been keeping us busy and that and dodging the rain. <laughs> and we're wrapping up baseball. So my son uh, is uh, wrapping up his first season of <laughs> kid pitch. And so it's been a really exciting time and they've had a great time. But uh, like uh, Jeremy, I'm glad to be getting some time back in my schedule soon. <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, Rebecca mentioned uh, works of art. And I have to say this new release 200 service integrations with Step Functions is honestly a work of art. It is beautiful. It is amazing. Um, tell us a little more about that. Sure. So um, <clears throat> I'm really glad to hear uh, that you see it that way. It's certainly been a, a passion project for, for the team. Uh, you've been really excited about the opportunities to make uh, Step Functions more accessible to a broader set of folks, but also all of AWS. Um, more accessible. So uh, we've been we've been working hard on this, and we're really excited to have it out there and uh, see the reaction we've been getting to it. So before we even dive like pretty deep into exactly what this is and its new capabilities with AWS SDK service, um, let's start with the before. Can you describe like what the release itself changed about the before? Um, I've seen a pretty great like Marcia wrote for the AWS um, blog, right? Like talking about what you had to do before in terms of like making a Lambda function. Um, and that just added more complexity to having to do these things in order to integrate with that function. So can you talk a little bit about the for the before state? And then we can dive into like really deep about how this is changing that and then technicalities around it. You bet. So um, maybe I'll just start it kind of at the beginning. So Step Functions launched in 2016 with a direct integration with Lambda, uh, and it sort of created this uh, this new model of serverless workflow. Uh, and that's the way the service operated for several years. And then um, in 2018 at reInvent, Werner launched what we called service integrations. And at that point, we had a set, I believe there were eight services, where we took specific um, API actions that folks often use in their workflows and we made them directly accessible from step functions. And what that did is it saved uh, our builders from having to write Lambda functions in order to invoke those services for the very common things that they're doing. Just made it simpler, uh, easier to do, and uh, less, less maintenance. 
Uh, and so since then, we've added some more. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, interest from our customers, and we stepped back and said, well, we can keep adding, you know, the most uh, popular ones that folks ask for. But, but what, what, what can we do to think bigger on this? And that's what led us to uh, what we launched here. And we said, let's do an integration with AWS SDK. So we can make all 200, you know, over 200 services and over 9,000 API actions available directly from Step Functions. All right. So Sam, you're, you're a solutions architect, so you probably work with a lot of customers and trying to sort of get that feedback from in terms of what, um, you know, what they're looking for. And is, is this something where it was like people just didn't want to use the Lambda functions? They wanted to encapsulate more of this, this functionality? Or, I mean, is this like, where, where was the genesis? Like where, I mean, I, I get the, the idea of like, hey, it would be cool if it did all these things. But where was the, where was the pressure coming from? So I think it, it really is from our pace of innovation with AWS. You know, we are constantly adding new services and features and capabilities that make it really easy for customers to extend the functionality of their serverless applications very quickly. And so that is really resonating with customers as they see new things launched that they want to include in their applications. They get that it's very easy to pull those in. And Step Functions more and more has become a way, a place that they can go to do that. So in the case when they you know, have a, a high value service, like a, say recognition, something that can take an image and detect labels, and they, they see the, the outcome they want, what is the value or the purpose of incorporating this functionality to their application, but then they're forced to introduce an intermediary proxy, a function to do that. Um, really where it's just a, a form of glue in between the workflow and that service, then they see that as a unnecessarily point of friction or impediment. So wherever we can remove that so that customers can move more quickly and focus on you know, delivering value faster, it really resonates with customers. We've seen in social media that they're really excited about eliminating a set of functions that weren't really there for doing any sort of business uh, com compute or transformation, but were solely there for transporting and proxying communication between the, the workflow and our services. They, they really like the fact that they can reduce that complexity in their serverless architectures. Yeah, and it's funny um, you said the word glue in there because I remember maybe six years ago or so when uh, uh, when Werner uh, announced uh, Lambda, right? That Lambda was the glue, right? Like that was that thing that helped tie all those services together. And this is just another higher level, um, you know, or a higher level abstraction, I guess, on top of that. Um, so I guess from a from a standpoint of uh, you know this uh, a better after state, I guess where you know where it was before versus where you're going now, is this something where you see step functions you know getting to a point where workflows are the preferred maybe the ideal way to handle any type of this orchestration here as opposed to needing to to send things into lambda function and lambda functions might just be for custom business logic for example yeah, so I think like most solutions, there's trade-offs over time and, and really customers can be most successful when they get into a pattern of making decisions, building things and, and being able, uh, comfortable and reevaluating that they think they build over time. So today, Step Functions has a certain set of capabilities that are really good fit for building um, uh, workflows that are more focused on an application, a serverless application that involves integrating other AWS services directly. Um, and there might be less of a need for a Lambda function in certain scenarios. That might be the ability to focus those functions more on purely custom logic and transformations as focused and, and um, differentiated into that application instead of just the integration and, and the transportation of data between services. And then, you know, as, you know, Step Functions has a lot of things planned in the future. There's going to be new capabilities that come to it and Lambda functions over time, which will change folks' uh, you know, decision matrix on trade-offs and what is a good fit or not. But I definitely see like as we sort of rethink what is a serverless application over time, a, a workflow becomes more part of the conversation. And what are we trying to achieve? And what is the value each of our serverless services bring into the overall solution? And then picking the right tools for the right job and having an easy way to combine them uh, in a total solution. Awesome. I mean, and, and it's funny because, again, you talk about um, transportation, you talk, uh, talk about transformation. Um, and I remember Chris Munns very early on um, discussing Lambda functions and the purpose of Lambda functions. Um, and the idea was that you use Lambda functions to transform data, not to transport data, right? So that if you're moving something from S3 to somewhere else, there's generally a better way to do that than to pull the data into a Lambda function and move it. So that is an interesting way, um, I think, that people can think about it where Step functions becomes a really good orchestration tool for transporting data. And then when you have those transformations that maybe the step functions can't necessarily do, because you can still do 
some transformation, uh, I think. Uh, but the idea would be to use that Lambda function to do the transformation. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's always going to be a continuum, right? There's right. no total total order on our decisions. But I, that is, I think, two of the things to think about. I think another thing to consider is just the developer experience um, you have in sort of writing, authoring, and testing, and deploying code, mm -hmm. and how we do that inside of a Lambda function or a set of functions, the life cycle around those functions, and how that relates to uh, how the development and deployment experience while step functions, and again, what we have today and what we have planned in the future, and then how those things relate. How do the life cycles of functions and um, workflows, how are they related or different? And we talk to customers who see them to being tightly coupled in their life cycle and deployment patterns, and some that see them very loosely coupled and being able to compose functions across different workflows so that they essentially are, are independent of each other. So there's lots of ways to think about combining these in, in your applications. And there's really no wrong answer. It's more around really just thinking through your use case, analyzing uh, the options and, and making the right trade-offs. Sam, you were talking a little bit about um, the future, right? Like when you're thinking about the future of serverless applications. And then Justin, I want to go back to something you said where you're like, when you're thinking specifically about the step function service, how you could think bigger than, you know, adding a few things here, a few things here. And that was like, okay, what if we were able to have it um, like work with any any service that has the AWS SDK, which is over 200. And so not to get too far into doc culture, but I think there's something special, right? For a lot of people when they're like, oh, I've heard about Amazon's doc culture and all these things. And one of the special, I think, questions that is often asked in those docs about giving out like, you know, IP of Amazon or anything like that is that idea of saying, what, what do you wish that someone that you would overhear someone saying about this at a party? And that question is meant to sort of scope, right? Like, how do you see this when it's like built in the future actually affecting people's day to day life? And I'm curious if like throughout that doc writing process and envisioning what that future is, perhaps something around like, what was that answer that you gave when, um, when you were like, all right, how do we wish to overhear someone talking about this at lunch or at a party? Like, what is that future state? And then how did that scope back to what you all launched? Um, so maybe I'll, I'll jump in and answer that. So <clears throat> I have to remember exactly what we wrote when we were doing that, but. Exactly, uh, me, Justin, <laughs> it's better be verbatim. <laughs> I gotta, no. uh, the thing that I was hoping to hear from people was to say, you know, wow, it's now way easier for me to understand the capabilities that are available to me in AWS and much easier for me to take advantage of them to, to improve my business, improve my technology. That, that's what I wanted to hear from people. Uh, not just the ability to, to uh, you know, that ability first to really just to see what's there, to understand, to discover, because we provide so much capability. And as Sam was saying, we don't have a, a perspective that we, there's one right answer to these things. There are many answers depending on what you are doing. Uh, and that's great, but it can create a challenge because there are so many pieces. So making it a lot easier for people to discover what's there and then to take that and build it into their applications. So I'm curious, I mean, now it's been out for uh, a couple weeks and like, what is the initial, I mean, I know initial customer feedback is like, yeah, love it. Um, but I'm sure there's also things that are like, hey, actually this, or what if now we could do this and people build on those ideas and they see what is there and then what even more could be there. And so I'm curious if there's like specific customer feedback that you've gotten or known pieces that you're already working toward, even building more on top of. And then maybe if there's any surprising stories that you're like, oh, we didn't realize people would use it like that. And that is really cool. Yes, yeah, so I think this is really, it's it's been a game changer. I think to sort of Jeremy's question earlier about rethinking what a serverless application is. I think most of us in this space are our developers who come from software engineering backgrounds, and we think about code as being the thing that we express um, the, the problem that we're trying to solve, right? And one of the great things about serverless is, uh, in my co customer conversations, is I'm so much more quickly connected to the, the customer, the business problem, and the thing that we're trying to solve outside of necessarily even the technology stack. And you know, as we have more purpose-built capabilities, those can offset some of the code we would traditionally write in our applications. And when I use, there's, there's a feature we haven't really gotten into yet around the workflow designer. It's a visualization on building your workflows. In my customer conversations, it's, it's really fun actually to pull that up and have a live conversation where we're pulling in and actually building out um, the workflow as part of our conversation 
and seeing how quickly that represents the problem the customer is trying to solve. And there's a really, it's a very addictive sort of feedback loop and having a conversation that's so quick, so closely connected to the problem you're solving and having the result be uh, available so quickly. And I think that uh, part of that, this new capability in, in the SDKs is really resonating with customers and saying, wow, I can actually, I can build and actually change something much more quickly now, combining all of these AWS superpowers in my applications. And I think now they're thinking, well, what else could I do? Like, what are the other things that I could connect to or, or where else am I, you know, having to glue things together? Um, and, and what else would, what could step functions do to help me simplify those problems? So it, it really is sort of, I think, a, a sort of a, been a light bulb moment for a lot of customers or one that they've they've hoped for a long time and, and hope to have seen come and now that's here that's really opening the doors and their ideas on what else they can go uh, build. And I think that's, to me, what's most exciting is the, how it's inspiring others to, to build. Yeah, I would echo that, Sam, that this is what I've been, been hearing as well. With the feedback that's been most interesting is just the creativity that it's unlocking with folks. They're thinking about new things. And I think we are still very early. We haven't had this out there that long. So I'm <clears throat> that's what I'm most interested in, seeing the different ideas people have about how they're going to apply this in their applications. Uh, we're also super excited along those lines about uh, uh, something fun we're doing, which is we just uh, will be launching this week a, a contest we're calling Flex Your Skills to have people... Uh, show us some examples of really, really cool things that they've done with this. Um, and so we can, I can share a link later with you on how we can uh, get others involved in that. We're really excited about that and just an opportunity for us to make everyone, uh, make everyone aware and be able to share some of the cool things that they're thinking of. So speaking of creativity um, and uh, and sort of thinking about new things, um, this is another. So I'd like to get a little bit technical here, and hopefully we don't lose some of the casual users as we get into maybe some domain-driven design and and some and some concepts around that. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned, or one of you mentioned, this idea of uh, you know sort of stitching together multiple lambda functions, maybe even across accounts, cross boundaries, things like that. So so I mean maybe let's start small and let's start, you know, sort of in-service or intra-service workflow. So um, without getting too deep into bounded context and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I guess my thought here is there are multiple ways to do interactions um, and, and maybe micro orchestrations is the way to uh, or sort of the way to refer to them, where like you drop a, a file into S3 and it can trigger a Lambda function, right? And that might be more of a simple one. But then you have some more complex ones as well, where maybe you've got things like Lambda destinations where those are firing off based off of a, a state, right? So if it's a, a success state or a failed state, you get uh, something firing off there. Those integrate with EventBridge and some of these other things. Um, as well as, you know, you've got DLQs, you've got retries, there's, you know, bisecting of batches and all these other things that are tied directly to some of the services and some of those event mapping, some of the integrations. Um, so I'm curious from a sort of an in-service or intra-service perspective, you know, do you see, uh, and then maybe the question is more about how do you think customers should think about this, or are we all still trying to figure this out? Is are you know, should you be using step functions as a way to have a little bit more explicit control over those? And I know step functions can't duplicate all of that, um, but I think there are cases where. Step functions might work really well, um, you know, maybe hitting a vent bridge, triggering a step function, looking at DLQs, deciding whether or not there's something that needs to be done. Like how much of that, uh, how much of those workflows do you think can take over some of these other integrations and maybe, um, you know, and how should users be thinking about this? Like, should we be thinking about writing workflows to handle these, you know, DLQ situations or maybe pick up some of these other things that might have existing integrations? I know it's a really long and convoluted question, but these are the things that bounce around in my mind. Um, and so it's hard to art articulate them usually when they're in my brain. So anyways, just thoughts on, on that overall, if there was even so a question in there. So <laughs> sure, I'll go first and Justin, you can, you can jump in. So, you know, I think when we're, so, uh, you know, when we're thinking about the type of coordination that we need in our architectures, there's lots of choices and it really comes down to the, the type of coupling and the amount of coupling we want to have in our systems. And, and again, there's, there's different forms of coupling. You can have loose and tight coupling in different dimensions. And there is no right answer. Again, it's about understanding sort of the landscape and picking the right trade-offs for the problem you're trying to solve. And so an example where we do have a business process where the, the goal of the process, there is an expectation very intentionally on the sequences of actions that will happen, how errors are handled, 
how retries are handled, where you, you really don't want to leave it up. It is a tightly coupled process for a reason, right? In that case, you, you do need orchestration in order to perform those sequences of actions. And your choices are to, uh, to, to use a service to help you do that or build it yourself. And oftentimes when I'm having conversations with customers that are trying to understand this, this choice, I ask them to look at what Step Functions does because outside of the integrations, it has a lot of features that help developers solve this orchestration issue. So there's built-in logging, for example, and history tracking. We check state in the standard workflows, checkpoints so we get exactly one execution everything in the workflow. So there's actually a lot of benefits um, from an, an operational and execution standpoint that Step Functions brings. And so I, I use it as a reference for, you know, if, if you don't want to use this, at least take a look at what it provides because you might consider building something that does something very similar for yourself, right? It's a great example of what's required in order to provide those sort of backward looking capabilities for troubleshooting and auditing. All of those things are required after we ship our code and, and we have to uh, operate something in production. And I think in the past, when we looked at orchestration tools, you know, in, in sort of the you know 90s and 2000s, had a bad rap because they were expensive, they were a single point of failure, high licensing costs, right? Serverless is what has been the game changer in that space, right? Step Functions is a highly scalable serverless uh, infrastructure and pricing option for handling that orchestration, which really lowers the risk that we typically had when we had to uh, to depend on an orchestrator to to uh, handle that problem for us. Um, I'll say one more point about the option, other option I'll let Justin time in too. Say it. There's okay, when we, when we want loose coupling, right? So Jeremy, you mentioned like, you know, the interplay between event bridge and eventing with stuff functions. This is becoming a very popular pattern, right? Where we have events that trigger workflows. There might be a very small amount of, of sequences of actions that will happen. And the result of that will be another event that's produced, right? And so we can get this nice combination of flexibility between bounded context or microservices, but we can have the nice um, deterministic and tight coupling within those microservices as well. So they really play very well together. We see events drive workflows and workflows produce events, and that's becoming a really common pattern in our customer conversations. Right. Yeah. And maybe and maybe before you jump in, Justin, you can you can talk a little bit more about sort of the, the next aspect. And you, you talked about, you know, cross bounded context and so forth. So um, I'm not sure how familiar some of our users are with, you know, the idea of microservice communication and, and, and what some of those things are. But you, you talk a lot about high, you know, uh, tight coupling and loose coupling. Um, so in, in the in the microservices world, I know you know this, but I'm just going to give a quick explainer for any users who don't. You really have two methods: one being orchestration, one being choreography. But you have EventBridge that handles that uh, orchestration, where you basically send an event out. the The service itself does not need to know about the downstream services. It just says, "Hey, I've created an event, and any uh, any other service that's interested can listen to that." Whereas orchestration. You do have to have more of that tight coupling. And I've seen a lot of patterns, um, especially as people are starting to sort of wake up to the fact uh, and follow AWS recommendations that even microservices should be split across uh, AWS accounts. So you have, you know, maybe your user service in one AWS account, and that might have three different accounts associated with it. Maybe you have a dev prod staging. Maybe you have hundreds of developer accounts associated with that. So it gets very complex very quickly. Um, and I've seen these patterns where you have a state machine with step functions that are orchestrated these requests across, you know, got to make a call to the user service, and then it's got to, you know, call out to an external API and, and hit a uh, hit Stripe or something like that. And then once it gets that, it can call the inventory service, it can do these other things. So there's these very complex patterns when you start thinking about um, uh, cross context or a cross bounded context or different domains. Um, and there's multiple ways to do this. Um, you know, with, with step functions, you can hit an API gateway. So you can call an API gateway directly if you want to interface with the service that way. Um, you can use uh, API gateways and proxies if you need to proxy a call to a third party service, a third party API, get the data back from that. Those are some really cool patterns you can do there. You can also reach directly into another account and invoke a Lambda function directly, which always makes me really nervous because just exposing that internal implementation is is kind of uh, uh, is, is is kind of dangerous in my opinion but I'm just curious about your overall thought on that are these the types of, of patterns 
that you think step functions were designed to do? And 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 how do you sort of see that as, a, do you see this as like a separate orchestrator service that's outside of the bounded context of all these individual microservices? Or do you think it's something that needs to be a little bit more tightly coupled in order for, um, and again, I apologize, I, I'm rambling here without a question, but essentially like, do you see that as, um, something that Step Functions was designed to do to handle this type of sort of cross-service communication as opposed to just creating workflows within a service? So I think the answer here is it, it's, it's useful for both. So like when I, my personal perspective is I, like I think of Lambda, API Gateway, Step Functions, Event Bridge as being the four pillars of serverless. And you take these and you apply them and I see them applied at creating those boundaries between bounded contexts where you, where you will absolutely want to use Although, or you may use them in turn inside. So I don't think it's one or the other. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing, and in, in my experience as a technologist, one of the biggest challenges is dis- describing those service boundaries and those bounded contexts and being able to change them over time. Uh, so I agree. There may be patterns of going, say, across account to Lambda functions. I see risks for doing that, but you might have a good reason for doing it. Um, but we will often see where customers will want to take step functions and use it within a bounded context inside of a service. Um, and they'll also then want to maybe use that between between those. Uh, using EventBridge is, is great, as you said, to have the natural pub sub and, and really make sure that this is, is loosely coupled. Um, but we also sometimes say even between those services, there's an overall overarching layer of orchestration that's necessary. Uh, so it really depends on the situation and, and uh, we want to provide technology that provides great solutions in all of those cases. Now, I'm interested in the uh, external API call. So for I, I know a lot of people use a Lambda function. They'll hit a Lambda function, that Lambda function make an API call, um, bring the data back pipe that into the next state. Um, I'm curious, I, I like playing around with using a API gateway with a, a HTTP proxy um, to do some of those external calls. Is there any plans to build a generic HTTP API endpoint call with, a, as a task in step functions? Or is this still something that we kind of have to work around that either with the API gateway proxy or a Lambda function? Well, that's we have heard that feedback before, um, and as always, we listen to customers and we look at how to, to fit that functionality in. Uh, there's nothing I can share at this point, um, but the pattern of API Gateway was that was intended to help with a lot of this as well. Where uh, you oftentimes you want to be able to call those things, but then API Gateway provides you a lot of capabilities to create an appropriate interface for working with that within AWS. So that's uh, uh, that that pattern has been helpful, and we've seen a lot of interesting use cases there. I'll, I'll chime in another example. Um, we There's a This Is My Architecture video from Taco Bell um, that I think is a really good one for, for your listeners to, to look at too. And it's a case where Taco Bell needed to do an integration combining orchestration and choreography with Step Functions and EventBridge with some of their delivery uh, partners like a, you know, a DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're using a pattern where uh, they are generating the, the task token, which is a service integration pattern that you can do with step functions that provides, allows external parties to do callback mechanisms uh, and resume the execution of a workflow. And they're essentially generating those task tokens and, uh, and, and associating them, stashing and associating them with their partner correlation IDs. And then they can uh, either you know, invoke through a Lambda function and call those third-party partners directly. They could proxy through an API gateway, as you mentioned. And we have some customers that are actually using a feature in EventBridge called API Destinations, which yes. provides an outbound mechanism for integrating with third parties. Has a really neat feature. It actually allows you to ma- uh, set a maximum TPS on outbound requests to your partners. So really helpful in cases when you can produce more traffic than perhaps your partners can handle. Um, but essentially, that task token then can follow to your partners directly and then be used as a callback mechanism, either directly to step functions or through an intermediary, maybe like an API gateway to handle a webhook response that can be used to resume those workflows. So there, you know, I think, as you as you mentioned, Jeremy, there's lots of ways that we can go about you know, combining our AWS services. And I, and I think we will always look at simplifying those uh, sharp edges and where we hear from customers where we can improve the experience. Um, but the, those patterns, those serverless and, and integration patterns are available today um, for, for customers to explore. Yeah, and I and I do love API destinations with sort of the built-in circuit breaker slash quota management um, that's there. That is something that is you know, was, was desperately needed, I think, for a lot because there's a lot of people trying to build that on their own. So... Very interesting stuff, but yeah, I, I I do I do love that idea of of having that task that can sort of perform because to me that just seems like a really 
obvious task <laughs> and and you want to and, and actually there's a great video by uh, Marcia Vilshaba um, on our food buyer channel going over this new launch uh, and talks about how there's no Lambda functions in there. And so I think that's one of those common things, reaching out to another API, pulling that data down and to simplify that process would be pretty cool. But of course, you probably don't want to duplicate the same functionality as, as um, uh, API destinations. But anyways, it's still cool stuff. And like you said, there's a lot of different options um, and uh, and it is all possible now. Um, and, and if there's any way to sort of simplify that workflow, that'd be even better. I wanted to add one thing, Jeremy, which was um, uh, we uh, last year we launched for Step Functions as well, uh, synchronous uh, express workflows. And the yep. reason I want to bring that up is that you're, when our uh, builders are asking this question of which technology should I use and where should I apply it, when they see limitations of, well, I can do these things, but I can't do those things, they're reluctant to sort of embrace that technology sometimes because they, they want to have something that's ubiquitous for them. Um, and we heard from customers, they said, we love workflows, we love what we can get, um, but the asynchronous nature isn't always what we need. And so with synchronous express workflows, now people can use step functions, can use these capabilities. And if they need to have an interaction within their architectures that is synchronous, they can do that. And if they want to then move to asynchronous, they can do that as well. And so it makes it a lot easier for them to apply this uh, technology across the different uh, challenges that they face. Definitely. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. We've talked a lot about observability on this podcast, and if you've listened to any of those episodes, then you know that it can be difficult to achieve serverless observability with traditional approaches. Though serverless comes with many opportunities and advantages, it also has some unique issues that some tools just aren't able to address. And those issues really need something meant for serverless environments. That's where Lumigo comes in. As a serverless-first monitoring platform, Lumigo lets developers quickly and easily find and fix errors and performance issues while also giving you an end-to-end -end view of the entire transaction across services and functions. All of the debugging information you need is conveniently in one place, and you're able to set up alerts so that you know what's happening and how it might affect the user experience. Lumigo also knows how to play nice with your existing tool chain, enabling you to send alerts to email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Ops Genie, and more, and can also create tickets in Jira straight from the issues page. Thanks to their automatic distributed tracing, it only takes four clicks to set up Lumigo with no manual code changes necessary. Sign up for free at lumigo.io. So... I think an, an interesting thing that we've been hearing from our guests and then, you know, around the around the water cooler, I guess, is that if that's what people say anymore, is that um, a lot of these a lot of like these new services or feature releases or integrations or what have you, like things that Lambda can do, for example, in some ways sort of chip away at that principled simplicity of Lambda. And so while it adds more capabilities, it also adds more complexity. And so there's this tension between, you know, being able to do more things with more things. And all of a sudden that changes that like beautiful, like lightness, if you will, of Lambda. And that's to say, obviously, these are, again, maybe not obviously, Jeremy will check ourselves. Um, but our <laughs> our guests coming here are, are pretty big fans of serverless and Lambda. Or they likely would not be coming to join us. Um, and so I think it's just it's more of a discussion topic around like, you know, how far is too far? And are you at when you add complexity, are you taking taking away from the core principles of, of Lambda and serverless as a paradigm. But to me, the step functions um, capabilities with the AWS SDK service is like, it actually feels like an antidote to that. And it's actually, although it can allow you to technically do more stuff with more services, it is, is reintroducing a lot of simplicity into how you use these services and put things together, you actually get to remove that glue, if you will, of Lambda functions. Is that something, is that a way that you all see it by like sometimes adding, you know, building a new thing is actually injecting a ton of simplicity? I, I think so, Rebecca. So you, we talked earlier about microservices and in my experience in technology, the, you know, when I started at this, most of the applications were monoliths uh, and those worked well to a certain point and then they started to break down. And so one of the patterns that we've seen over time in technology is to break down our techno technology components into smaller and smaller pieces. They're more independent, we can scale easily from a, a, you know, a workload perspective and from a development perspective, we can change more quickly. But what it's done is it's taken, com it's taken complexity that was previously handled by a compiler and now it's pushed it up 
into another level. And so there's a trade-off that happens there. And you get the benefits of those small things, but now you're getting more and more overhead putting into making sure these things all work together. And I absolutely see uh, that pattern with serverless where people love it and then they get started and they love the small pieces of it and they find that oh, over time they're spending more and more of their energy on the things that don't actually add value. And I do see step functions as an antidote to that of allowing them to really focus on the parts that are uh, most valuable um, and then allow uh, a service like step functions to take care of the things that aren't. Mm. Yeah, and I, I tell you one one of the patterns that that I really like, and I, I know we sort of flirted around this a little bit, but is this idea of the the in, the intra service or the you know the in service um, use of step functions, where a lot of times people write fat what I call fat lambda functions, where they they you know connect to a bunch of different services, they pull the data together, they do some transformations, they kind of uh, you know and then they eventually come out with a result on the other end, and some of the times these run asynchronously, and that's perfectly fine. So the amount of time that they take doesn't really matter. But you add, you put all that complexity into the code, um, and then all your retries and all this other stuff kind of have to be built in. And then you, you know, then that's when you get into the dead letter queue sort of situations where it's like, did this event even make it through? Um, and I really like this pattern of creating very small, discrete pieces of business logic um, in a Lambda function that does something, some transformation or whatever, and then having that that workflow or having that step function orchestrate a bunch of those things together. And the and the the ability now to add in, um, you know, these other services now it cuts out a lot of these Lambda functions. So I, I really do like that intra service thing from a from a global perspective. I'm more I, I like. Uh, choreography more than I like orchestration across multiple services. But at the same time, there are a lot of patterns like both of you have said, where it's probably not a bad thing, you know, depending on your use case, if you do have to coordinate multiple things, you can do it that way. Um, and again, I, I, there's no better way, in my opinion, to orchestrate a saga, if people are familiar with saga patterns, and to be able to do the rollbacks and the retries and all that kind of stuff that there, then by using a step function. So I think that's a, I think that's just one of those things where we have to start identifying these patterns and calling them out where it's like, you've got one pattern that's this very low level intra-service pattern that's meant to run some discrete action within a bounded context, and then potentially, if need be, using these larger, um, you know, this this larger context of cross domains in order to, or, you know, cross uh, bounded context, I guess, in order to have that orchestrator do that. And then, like you said, mixing, matching these patterns with event bridge and with orchestrators, you know, if you need to. But there's just... It just opens up a whole new sort of world, you know, of of, of people's thinking. Um, and and again, I, I I appreciate Rebecca's questions. Like, does it make things simpler? I think it does make things simpler because you can see them and they're more logically laid out. But at the same time, from a, a developer's brain, you're probably like, ah, I'm usually used to just writing things synchronously in code. Um, this all of a sudden this ent enters a whole new paradigm for me. Yeah, it's it's we have this conversation a lot with customers, right? Is it simpler or not? Well, you know, like you said, Jeremy, the simplest thing is to have some synchronous code that runs single threaded and you have a lot of control over reasoning about what's going to happen and the expectations for the execution of that code. But to Justin's point, like at a certain point, the how does that scale? How how do you operate that and how does it fit the traffic patterns? And that's why we move to microservices and distributed applications where we follow the cap theorem and can scale things in different ways, but they're trade-offs, right? Now we have complexity that we didn't have before. We have new capabilities and we can scale and, and, and you know, build and scale wonderful things that we couldn't do before, but they come with you know, trade-offs to consider. And I think that you know, your point around you know, using the bounded context as a guideline for where orchestration versus choreography is a good one. I think it's a good place to start. And a lot of these are these are old concepts that are new to a lot of people now that the tools are easier to incorporate in the serverless world where you can use them to build stuff faster. But I think it, it kind of comes back to these this ideas and coupling. And if we think of coupling as a measurement of the dependencies or the awareness of and expectations for these coordinations between the systems, it's a good guideline for what is the right choice. I've had conversations with customers that sort of discover this space and say, oh, we'd really like to have an event bridge conversation. And I said, okay, great. Tell me what your requirements are. And all of their requirements point to a high level dependency and awareness between systems and expectations. And we say, well, you know, I think you should take a look at step functions. That actually has the tools that will help you solve your problem more immediately. And then other customers that want very loose coupling and they're trying to build that into a tight, you know, an orchestration workflow where they uh, need to think about where they actually uh, need looser coupling for more flexibility and need to split those things apart. And so to your point, like things with the saga pattern where we're talking within or across bounded contexts, 
they can still apply. It's just really more on the, the, the expectations of the coordination and the problem we're trying to solve. Um, and that I think is a, is a good guideline for, for where to start and how to combine these things together. Right. And I, and I think the, the big thing around coupling is, I mean, the holy grail of microservices really, I think, is independent deployability, right? That one team can work on a service and they can deploy that. And then when you start adding in, even if it's temporal coupling or whatever, you have uh, an orchestrator that's making calls to these services, as long as that contract stays valid, right? And you're you're not breaking contracts. You still, I mean, that's one of the things that I like about this idea of, again, using these to do these orchestrations and socket patterns, because it, it's perfectly valid use case to do that as long as it's, it's under, you know, un, as long as you maintain those bounded contexts within that service, um, create that contract uh, and expose that contract and keep that, you know, the whole information hiding and internal workings and stuff. Try to keep that separate because if you let that bleed over into your step functions and into these sort of cross-bound, uh, cross-context um, uh, orchestrations, that's where I think you can get into problems. So I think you're right. I think just think about it in terms of keeping these discrete pieces of logic or these discrete services separately uh, or separate and then using this to, you know, to, to just use a public contract or I guess private and this, depending on what the service is, but a private contract in order to communicate with them. Exactly. And, and you know, I think a, a good example in sort of where Lambda still fits in this context, if we think sort of to Rebecca's question, you can think that AWS, we have 9,000 plus SDKs that you can call. I think of these as like superpowers, right? Like I, I just love the machine learning services because I, I get so much value out of making an API call that is just beyond me to be able to, I'm not an ML expert, right? So the fact that I can send an image and get back labels for it is like magic to me. And I just love incorporating that. But there might be, you know, I've talked to customers, I think to your point, Jeremy, where maybe they have a custom machine learning model that they want to execute, and it's not a good fit for the AWS services. Well, perhaps it's a great fit for a Lambda function and doing an on-demand machi uh, on machine learning inference call. And so if we think about Lambda as being sort of custom capabilities that our services uh, don't support or don't have the features that you need, then you start to see where your Lambda's functions really become custom superpowers, right? That wrap right. either AWS services or own business superpowers and incorporating it into a workflow, just like you would the AWS services. So there's definitely a place for Lambda in, in our serverless architectures. And I think as, as Justin was mentioning, it's really the combination of all of these services together that give you a solution. None of them can really stand on their own. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, like I've heard, uh, you know, when we launched this, uh, um, this release there was a lot of discussion. People were using the term lambda-less, and and I I have a different perspective. I think of lambda more. I think it's about using lambda more for the things that it is you know best at, and not using it for those things that you really don't want to. Right. Yeah, lambda value add. Lambda more is better. Um. So Justin, earlier, you know, you're like, yeah, we've heard that feedback before and then, but I can't really speak on it. And then you gave us a wink. All, all our listeners couldn't see it, but no, I'm kidding. You didn't wink, but I felt like there's a wink <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. I do have to say that out loud that you did not wink. There was absolutely no indication that there's anything you could actually talk about in terms of what's coming up next, but we should talk about a few other recent releases that are complementary to this. So Step Functions Workflow Studio and the Dataflow Simulator. Um, I'd love to give you all the opportunity, give you the floor to talk about those a little bit since we focus so much on, you know, the integrations possibilities with 200 other services. But th those things are also new and people are excited about them. So if you could talk a little bit about that and how that fits into this picture as well. Yeah, and let me just interject quickly because honestly, I think that the uh, Step Functions Workflow Studio is probably the best, or at least one of the best developer experiences within the AWS console. Like there's so many things. I know the DynamoDB team redid the whole items, you know, look up stuff, but it's still like six clicks to get to an item. I mean, there's all kinds of issues with that. I've been playing around with the Workflow Studio and it is, it's amazing. It's so nice. And I love the Dataflow Simulator. That is just, that makes it so much easier to build these things and understand that that throughput. But again, I, uh, well, maybe I just sold it for you. But anyways, tell us more about it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, I'll also give a little bit of context too. So first off, it's really fantastic to hear that, that feedback because, uh, you know, this is something we are passionate about and the team has really leaned into for a long time. And so, you know, a while back, we recognized with Step Functions that we had customers who used it and loved it, but we knew the developer experience was challenging. 
there's a new domain specific language that you need to learn, you know, to separate. So there was a lot that you had to invest in order to get that full value. And so a while back, we organized ourselves to say, like, look, how do we really focus on improving the developer experience? And we knew that wasn't going to be a one and done thing. And we've been investing over time multiple changes in order to get there. Um, and it's really culminated, I think, with Workflow Studio of us being able to, to make a huge leap forward. And so with Workflow Studio, now uh, someone who's coming in doesn't, if they're a new user, you don't need to learn this underlying domain-specific language that is Amazon State's language. You can get going visually. You can discover the capabilities of the services and the service integrations, but also of this workflow language without having to get into the nitty-gritty. And, and that has been um, uh, hugely helpful for a lot of our new customers to just get started and to understand how to, to, to work with this. But it's also been incredibly helpful for experienced users. I, I like to dog food and use our service. I use it all the time. I love it. I come in and I can put things together and I can start to, as, as Sam was saying, I can visually construct what, what I want, put it together, and then I can move over. Maybe I'm going to do some other things in uh, serverless app model after um, using CloudFormation, et cetera. But it really allows me, even as, a, as an experienced user, to get started on it. Uh, and so we're we're really pleased with that. Um, we have I think we have more to do to continue to make that better, but we're really proud of uh, you know uh, what we've been able to do and the reception that folks have given to us. Yeah, my suggestion just is when you select like let's say you select API Gateway as a task and you drop that in, then when you go in, it, it gives you the JSON, it gives you the you know the, so you can fill in the information. Yep. And if you could parameterize that, and I could select from all my API gateways and things like that, would be that yeah. would be amazing. Okay, I'll take that back to the team. And I know, so I know that you can't talk about any releases coming up uh, at reInvent, but I do wonder if there's anything you can tell listeners around whether or not you're going to reInvent. I'm not exactly sure this year is if there's a, a booth, right? And so they can find out more at, at the Step Functions booth or if there are specific talks. Sam, you usually give one. I know that um, where you know what themes you're focusing on. So people can look for these when they go to be like, that's the talk I want to go to. I want to learn more about how to interact with this, um, like everything that you've talked about today, right? Like, how do I work that into my workflows now? Um, and so I'm curious if there's already talks that are scheduled for that, that people should look out for. There are. The, the catalog was just released this week, um, and we have uh, talks across the serverless track, and we have a sister track called the application integration track. Um, but but they really, there's a lot of overlap in these services. As we were talking about, really, we see them in combination quite a lot. Um, so we'll have event-driven architecture talks. We'll have Talks on orchestration, um, for, you know, performance improvements and optimizations. You know, lots of serverless information. There is a, as you mentioned, Rebecca, also a booth, a serverless booth. People can visit on the vendor floor. Um, and all the this year, the breakout session talks are going to be pre-recorded and least released during the week. So, for those that can't attend in person, um, you will have a quick access to the uh, the materials to view at home as well. Nice. And if people want to get started today. Uh, is the best place just to go, you know, aws.amazon.com slash step dash functions? Or is there a certain place where you're like, nah, go read this blog first, go see that this is my architecture video, you know, at, from Taco Bell first. Like what are, what are some of the things that you'd say, like, this is the best way to get started? So my recommendation is to go to serverlessland.com. It's a, it's a great website that our developer advocate team has created and maintained. You can find like, you know, uh, videos, articles that have all been co-located there, as well as a set of serverless patterns. You know, Jeremy, I know you've done some work in this area as well, but it's a great place to discover sort of how we can use these services and combinations and have a quick deployment of these things um, in your code. So from there, you can, you can discover the other videos that we have um, in, in articles to get started. Oh my gosh, I love the authors of Serverless Land. Those DAs are epic. Good yeah. call out. <laughs> yeah, no, serverlessland.com is uh, is like a go-to resource for for so many things. Um also again, uh I know Eric Johnson just, just speaking of authors of Serverless Land, um he had a Twitch uh episode recently uh, about the launch of it. Uh, I mentioned Marcia Vilshava's uh, Fubar video on it, which I think is super helpful. Uh, I, I know that uh, Yen Trey, the Burning Monk, has a Step Functions course as well, but I'm probably a little bit out of date with, doesn't mention these new things, but, um, and probably doesn't get into the workflow studio and those sort of things. So, but anyways, there's a, there are a lot of good resources out there for Step Functions and, um, but so much has changed. So really, yeah, I think probably the best place to go is official AWS for the time being. And then, uh, and then I'm sure others will write a lot of content about this because this is a great release and, and your team is done an absolutely amazing job. So uh, congrats to congrats to all of you. Thank you.
Yeah, and you know when a daily practitioner developer, someone like Jeremy says this is the best developer experience they've had, that is very real. <laughs> it's not always easy to say that about AWS services. So like double <laughs> kudos from someone who's been able to be an, an observer of a lot of these conversations. And it doesn't usually go like that. We're like, this was a great developer experience. <laughs> um, so that's really awesome. Uh, you two, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge with the community and sharing about this launch, uh, especially like, obviously there's a wave that happens when you do launch it. And there's probably a lot of things where you're like, wow, I'm just actually tired now, but then all this like info comes flooding in and people have all these questions. So we appreciate you fielding ours. And in terms of not just where people can get started with um, step functions and, you know, the serverless paradigm in general and great resources to find, but how can our listeners find out more about you um, your Twitter handles? And uh, if there's anything that you want to say one more time about like the creativity contest happening, we can help get that shout out in the show notes as well. Yeah, sure. I'll give you a link to. Uh, so I'm on Twitter. I, I'm probably not the most interesting person to follow. I think Sam's probably a lot better than I am. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, I'm really excited about this contest. I'm really excited to see you know what folks are going to do with this. So that'll be out there. The instructions it's uh, managed through a GitHub repo that we've set up, um, and I'll share a link that you can include in the notes. And uh, we'd love to see people participate and uh, and show us their creativity. Cool. Also, Justin, I would maybe counter to say it's not an or, it's an and. So you could follow Justin mm -hmm. and Sam. You don't have to choose. <laughs> and Sam, where should people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I try to do my best on social media. I don't, I can't hold a, a candle to uh, our, our awesome DAs like Eric yeah. and um, so I, I follow more than I post, but uh, I try to be active and, and amplify all the awesome things our team is doing. Awesome. All right. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes as well as some of those other links we mentioned. Uh, thanks again. We appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks, Jens. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Sam Dangler and Justin Collison for being our guests this week and to our sponsor, Lamigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 116. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter at Becca Odele and me at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.